0: Take a second to think about the best-run law firms in the country. They consistently handle more cases in less time while spending fewer hours toiling over tasks like billing and client intake. My case was designed to help even the busiest law firms achieve peak efficiency. Through automation of routine administrative duties, templatized workflows, and centralized calendars, my case makes short work of your day-to-day processes and keeps your staff on task. Visit MyCase.com to learn more and start a free trial. That's MyCase.com.
1: I think it's important for organizations to have candor around, you know, um, displacement, automation, anxiety. It's important to have that dialogue so that people feel informed and equipped to take on the changes that they're being asked to take on um, because most people need a lot of help. Uh, envisioning a future that doesn't exist yet. Um, And unless you're able to give that to them, of course they're gonna cling to what they know because I I truly believe that is a human impulse.
0: Today on Law Next, innovating big law. In January, the world's largest law firm, Baker McKenzie, hired two leading thinkers on legal innovation, Jay Um and Casey Flaherty, to help the firm, quote, enhance and reimagine the delivery of legal services to global clients. Jay and Casey join us today to discuss their new roles. This is Bob Ambrosia, and you're listening to Law Next, the podcast that features the innovators and entrepreneurs who are driving what's next in law. We'll get to today's interview in just a moment. But first, let's hear from the sponsors who generously support Law Next. ShareFile is a secure, easy-to-use collaboration and workflow solution that has helped more than 90,000 customers secure data, share files, and collaborate on documents. With ShareFile for Legal, you can eliminate the never-ending speed bumps during client collaboration, giving your clients one tool to onboard, sign retainers, and share requested documents. It can also be easily integrated with popular workplace tools like Google Workspace, Salesforce, QuickBooks, Zapier, and more, bringing even more ease to the client experience. To learn more about how ShareFile for Legal can help you keep work flowing, go to ShareFile.com. And now, on to this week's interview. So, Jay and Casey, welcome to Law Next.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Just to recap the news, in January, Baker McKenzie announced that uh, it had hired the two of you, Jay, uh, as Director of Pricing Strategy Casey as Director of Legal Project Management. Uh, you're joining a team led by David Cambria, who last year left Fortune 50 company Archer Daniels Midland to become the firm's Global Director of Legal Operations. I, I wonder if I could just start, uh, because uh, not all of our listeners are going to know uh Everything about you, and uh, uh, although you're, you're both uh, pretty well known uh, uh, figures in, in the legal world. But, uh, Jay, before we start talking about what you're doing now, could you fill us in on what you were doing before?
1: Sure. Um, so, I think probably it makes sense to uh, start with my run at SciFarth Shah, where I had a um, wide variety of roles. I was there almost six years. Um, you know, I spent time in what I would generally call like three separate tours of duty, um, three different areas of focus. Initially, I was embedded with um, a fairly high end, complex discrimination litigation practice, um, doing many of the things that we would now call legal operations, but also including things like uh, client care and account management um, for some of the largest clients in that practice, uh, hands on case management for class actions and a lot around um, legal business. So uh, obviously, billing and collections and mechanics, but also, um, you know, giving an eye to uh, whether those invoices reflected the value delivered to the client. So I, I would call that um, kind of my first tour duty. And then after that, I went into a firm wide role where um, uh, I had the very clear uh, title of Director of Special Projects um, reporting directly to uh, then Chairman uh, Steve Hoare. Um, and a lot of that work um, was around client service, uh, delivery innovation and you know, kind of rethinking uh, the delivery of legal services and the way we thought about legal business from the client's perspective. So in concrete terms, a lot of my work had to do with partner education, uh, programming internally and externally to drive thought leadership and, and dialogue around uh, climate value um, and then uh, I had my last tour of duty as the director of strategic planning where um, I focused a lot on Communications and you know um, around governance issues for the partnership our, our financial performance and strategic uh, direction going forward, although I retained some of uh, my special projects from my second run. And in in that role, my last role, I also had the opportunity to build out a uh, research and intelligence function um, under the strategy umbrella. And so that was a lot of uh, horizon scanning, which, you know, some of that I had done in the special projects role, but that definitely gave me a broad view. Of the market landscape, not just in big law, but also the new entrants, or um, you know, coming into the space, you know, the the um, emergence uh, or re-emergence of uh, the big four as competitors in this space, as well as you know the proliferation. I think you know remarkable uptick in activity in legal technology startups, investments. So you know, kind of scanning those broad trends and. Uh, figuring out what that might mean for our business. So I think that led uh, pretty naturally into the company I started when I left Cypher, six parsecs. Um, it was a research and insights company. Which I'll uh, confess,
0: I had to look up what a parsec was. I did not know that, uh, Yeah, let alone a, six of them.
1: Yes, yes, it's a fun story. It's uh, It's got a Star Wars, uh, Backstory, which if anybody has uh, read any of my writing, I actually make Star Wars uh, references quite frequently. But yeah, six, six um focuses on market research and insights specifically for the legal vertical. Um, I think that's a gap I saw uh, in the marketplace uh, from my role at cipher where, you know, there's a lot, lot of great content um, about trends in the uh, legal industry, legal business, um, But, you know, a lot of it is very fragmented and even though there are more and probably higher quality communication channels now than there were, you know, 10, 20 years ago, thanks, much thanks to, uh, you know, tireless work by you and others like you, Bob, um, a lot of uh, kind of bloggers covering trends that are, you know, coming too fast and furious to be covered by the legal press, but, you know, from a reader's perspective, it tends to be a fragmented experience, um, which mirrors, you know, how I see the current state of the legal market, which is extremely balkanized. So um, I wanted to try a different way of talking about the legal market, um, you know, longer form, more in-depth analysis in specific areas um, about broad trends, actually. So that is what I uh, spent most of 2018 doing, a lot of legwork, you know, face-to-face conversations, uh, saw lots of demos actually from legal startups, lots of fascinating uh, dialogue with uh, folks in in innovation roles uh, across big law, and there are more and more of them now. Um, And in that process, you know, uh, I came upon this amazing opportunity at Baker McKenzie, and um, it was really, um, as the godfather himself would say, David Cambria made uh, me and Casey an offer. We could not really repeat <laughs> the opportunity to, um, you know, influence uh, pricing strategy and, and how legal buy actually happens, how legal work uh, is packaged and sold for um, one of the biggest firms in the world with the installed client base of Baker McKenzie was just too uh, attractive of a learning opportunity for me to turn down. So that's basically where. Uh, I think the primary arc is, but I will say that, you know, before I finished college, I was a legal secretary, I was, um, a office manager for a solo. I was a paralegal, um, in a litigation practice. And then, so I've seen, uh, legal work in many different business settings, um, from many different vantage points. I think, um, you know, in one way or another, I think all of those experiences have conspired to give me, um, I think what I what I hope will be an interesting uh, point of view on on where Legal Buy is headed.
0: And I should say that the godfather, we're not talking about Marlon Brando here, but we're talking about <laughs> David Cambria, who has somehow picked up this moniker as the, the godfather of legal operations. Uh, I, I'm not even sure who originally gave him that, but uh, everybody seems to refer to him that way. Casey Flaherty, uh, what, what's your background? What brought you to this point?
2: Uh, well, I'm the, I'm the kind of person who can tell you it was Brad Blickstein, who gave it to him, and he gave it to him <laughs> because it's David's uh, <clears throat> favorite movie, and that I, I guess that's how I should be introduced as as a person who knows people. Uh, I've I've been around uh, a a while now, uh, at least relative to Jay, and and not not really any time at all <laughs> uh, relative to you, Bob. Uh,
0: Yes, uh, I am old. Rub it in, Casey. That's good. Oh, no, fun. not old. Just <laughs>
2: you you've 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 been legal famous uh, longer than either of us have been in legal. Period. Uh, I was a litigator out of law school at a large law firm. <clears throat> I moved uh, from a large law firm uh, in house. When I was in house, I gained some notoriety for my somewhat unique approach to outside counsel management. There were lots of behaviors I'd seen uh, while embedded in a large law firm that I didn't wanna pay for as a client. Almost none of them related to legal expertise or how hard people worked. It was all around systems. How do we leverage expertise through process and technology? Uh, And uh, oddly, I gained a reputation as a scold, at least initially. Uh, which was that was the opposite of what I was doing. Uh, I thought that uh, the biggest mistake that buyers made was to scream at their law firms that they were inefficient in vague terms, and then demand a discount uh, because that didn't change behavior at all. Uh, I so I I be I commenced a program of of structured dialogue with my firms, where we would have concrete conversations around specific process improvements. Uh, and it was about deeper, uh, more collaborative relationships. Uh, but I have a somewhat provocative writing style and I'm willing to say bombastic (laughs) things that are of course true. Like lawyers are terrible at using Microsoft word and this is a problem that can and should be fixed. And so that, that bombast uh, got attention and established a particular kind of, of reputation, uh, one that I, I must admit I embraced. Uh, I went, so I gained that notoriety in-house and I parlayed that uh, very limited fame into uh, a consulting career. Uh, I consulted primarily with large law departments, but, but also uh, with law firms around legal service delivery so process uh, re-engineering, uh, but a lot of it uh, focused on the relationship between law firms and law departments. Uh, I spent a good chunk of my consulting time operating at the mesh point between law departments and law firms. Uh, and that's because I genuinely believe that uh, uh, it's not just that law firms are salvageable. I think that's even too harsh a judgment. Uh, I think law firms Deliver great value, and that value can can be enhanced, uh, and it can be enhanced with uh, appropriate alignment uh, with the client, and that requires change on both sides. We need to change the buy side as well as the as the sell side, um, and that both both sides are on this journey together. And when I was given the opportunity, number one, to work with David and Jay, and number two, at, at what on a, at a platform like Baker to actually, uh, recon- to actually realize, uh, much of what I'd been talking about, uh, and, and working on, but mostly on the client side, I, I jumped at it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Cause I, I would make a great bond villain. I can monologue for forever.
0: <laughs> well, one of the best, uh, things I read uh, about uh, the two of you getting hired at Baker McKenzie was the uh, 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 post by my friend Steve Embry uh, wrote at his blog Legal Tech Crossroads, uh, which he recalled Winston Churchill's response to the question, sir, are you ready to meet your maker? Yes, Churchill responded, but is he ready to meet the likes of me? Steve kind of analogized that to your situation and asked, is Baker McKenzie ready for the likes of you two? I mean, as you've said, Casey, you had some bombast. Uh, and Jay, you've you've never been uh, shy about expressing your opinion. Uh, what do you say to Steve Embry's question? Uh, is, is Baker McKenzie uh, – you guys may be ready for Baker McKenzie, but is it ready for you?
2: Well, the, uh, uh, Jay, do you want me to start or do you want to go?
1: Yeah, why don't you start and I'll finish.
2: <laughs> uh so so the the answer is more ready than any other firm. So so no one no one anywhere is truly ready for change because if they were completely ready for change the change would have already happened. Uh uh but I uh, much of what I've done over the last 5 years has been go on site at law firms on behalf of clients. And uh, Baker had already was already making really important strategic investments and moves that were that have a material impact on the way legal services are delivered and the way they they align with clients. And that existed before we were there. Uh, one of my favorite shows is Silicon Valley. There's just a, there's a great line about salespeople and how, Uh, the best salespeople only sell that, which is easy to sell. Uh, that's, that's how I, that's how I felt going into, uh, Baker McKenzie. So I'll speak for myself and, uh, as director of legal project management, there was already a robust legal project management team in place and integrated into, into, uh, you know, Baker's, uh, client teams, client facing work, uh. It, this isn't. This wasn't some aspirational goal. Now, certainly uh, we want to grow the team. Uh, we want to raise the profile of the team. We want to move the team up the value chain. I mean, it, nothing is ever perfect, um, but it, it wasn't as if I'm coming into a situation where I have to convince the firm that legal project management is a good idea. They've already made really, uh, Deep investments in it, and there there was already a plan in place to continue to grow the function, uh, and and to me that is that is consistent with uh, much of what the firm is doing elsewhere. David preceded us. the the fact that they made that hire uh, is huge. the the services function uh, uh, that that the David is a lead of is. Uh, 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 robust, uh, the the kind of investments the firm has already made in alternative legal services in places like Belfast and now Tampa. Um, a lot of the a lot of the structural changes that the COO Jason Marty has uh, spearheaded. Uh, when when you dig when you dig deep and you know there's only so much I can say uh, without getting smacked smacked down by by Jay about speaking out of school. But when you dig deep and we did. Uh, they are the most ready of any firm uh, I've in, I've encountered, and in fact, to the extent you've seen this kind of movement from other firms, it tends to be challenger brands. It tends to be firms that need a way to differentiate themselves. Baker McKenzie's already brand differentiated. They're all, they're already uh, 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 you know the number one global brand among law firms, and their revenue numbers are substantial. Uh, and the fact that a firm like that uh, was willing to make these kinds of investments because we're here on this podcast. Uh, this this was a very public move, the way hiring David was a very public move. Uh, you don't do that unless you're actually committed, because if, if all of a sudden we were to be gone in three months, people would notice that just as much as they noticed the fact that we joined. Uh, and so I... Really, that I've been so impressed by the firm from the initial conversation through today in their in their willingness to be bold and to change and the investments that they'd already made long before uh, we got there,
0: Jay, does that resonate with you? How do you how would you respond to Steve Embry's comment?
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um Casey flaherty and i uh you know, definitely have lots of things in common. And I think um, a lot of that shows in our writing, but I, I, I probably you not And
0: you've written in common together too. I mean, you've you've yes. bylined articles together a few times, right?
1: Yes. Um, and I think, you know, I think what makes that interplay interesting um, is that we probably see the world maybe 90, 95% the same, um, and the remainder make, keeps things interesting. Um, so I, I think I agree with, um, you know, almost everything Casey has said, but I bring a slightly different perspective. Um, you know, Casey likes to say that he's coming back into a law firm. And I just like to remind him that, uh, the last time he was inside, he was an associate, um, and you know, very different from the business side as I'm sure he, he'd agree now. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, my writing definitely has been, uh, direct and, um, in some cases provocative, but I also think, um, one of the reasons that uh, a lot of my perspective has resonated especially with those kind of battle weary veterans uh, of the legal innovation game is that some some of the things i say are you know truisms like hard things are hard um it's, it's it bears mentioning that what we're trying to do is difficult because it is new to almost everybody involved and by what we're trying to do i mean change the status quo, right? We've been talking about it um, as an industry for many years. Uh, some of these issues have been around for um, more than a decade, maybe two decades. Um, and I think it's it's important that organizations have uh, patience and resilience and a willingness to look um, and think about the future on a longer timeline than this fiscal year. I mean, I think that is something that resonated most with me as I went through the many conversations that um, I did at Baker McKinsey before making the decision to join, and you know, I think um, probably the the message in uh, my writing that has traveled the furthest and resonated the most with kind of battle weary veterans is that you know I I think blame based narratives don't help. Uh, I think there is a tendency for us to major in on messages like because lawyers are risk averse, because lawyers are change resistant, or because, uh, you know, law firms and incumbents are complacent, they're making too much money, so they, they don't see, uh, you know, critical reason to change. Um, I think, you know, the, some of those observations are probably rooted in, in some truth and some um, level of experience. But I also think that there's a need to be more uh, optimistic and constructive about the future in the sense that we need to be action oriented and you know, maybe stop and ask why, why those behaviors tend to persist. And a lot of it has to do with incentives and systems and kind of interconnected um, you know, factors that drive this very complex business of, of selling legal services. And buying legal services in the grand scheme of things is still a complex undertaking, right? Uh, you know, one of the things I I tend to say a lot is we're not, we're not selling like widgets. We're not selling, um, you know, as much as we like to talk about the productization of legal services. Um, you know, there are many, many areas where clients still have undefined, ill-defined or ill-understood, uh, needs at least at the outset of an engagement and so there has to be a extensive and sustained dialogue between buyer and seller and to drive that kind of collaborative dynamic um, over over a period of time that's required to make significant changes um, you know what is required is a spirit of collaboration and positivity that um, we we can find win-win solutions to uh, problems that may seem intractable and, you know, I think it's that spirit of um, optimism and, you know, empathy, um, certainly rooted in commercial pragmatism. Um, I think those are the factors that really, um, you know, attracted me to Baker McKenzie. Um, and in terms of what, you know, Steve Embry wrote, I, I think Casey's right. I, I really felt that they are the most ready of, of all law firms, but, you know, I, I would think of it this way. Um, there's you know, probably two dimensions that are very important in, in driving change, uh, measurable change toward um, very ambitious, audacious goals. One of them is the will, and uh, the second is the skill, right? Um, I think The firm has displayed um, willingness to invest, um, and I think you know, they are investing in more and different skills to drive that change. But I also want to point out that, yeah, absolutely, uh, position matters, position, market position, competitive position is not destiny, but uh, I I think that Baker McKenzie sits at a very interesting, um, you know, position in the marketplace that is different from many of its competitors. It is not only the largest firm in the world, but I I would say one of the most global and that gives the firm a very, very uh, broad, Kind of point of view about where legal business is headed um, against the backdrop of where business period is headed for many of our clients, and I think it's that kind of sophistication and um, you know really uh, an appreciation for geopolitical uh, shifts uh, in the world that we live in. I think um, there is great recognition of what uh, digital transformation is doing. Um, you know, both in the consumer market and for business, uh, in general, because as, as life becomes more digitized, uh, individual expectations of, of just, uh, work experience, buying experience, service experiences are elevating very quickly. And that changes the pace and uh, demands placed on every single type of business. And then, so serving, uh, A multinational global clientele I think um, we are definitely expected to think um, and plan for the future and I think that is what the firm is doing and so I would to end this long and I would apparently make a great Bond villain as well because I've been (laughs) for a while but um, you know just kind of to stick that landing I I would say um, uh, we all three of us, David, Casey, and myself, I think we are looking at this challenge on a much longer timeline. We know that there is a lot of work to be done, but I think you know one of the things that unites the three of us and our, our respective worldviews is that, sure, none of us are afraid to speak our minds, but none of us are afraid to work. And uh, I think we embrace the challenge and we're very excited for the opportunities to drive lasting, meaningful change um, on a very large platform.
0: We're going to stop there and take a short break to hear uh, words from our sponsors, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Law Next. Uh, we are speaking with Jay Ohm um and Casey Flaherty, who recently joined the firm Baker McKenzie, as, uh, Jay as Director of Pricing Strategy and Casey as Director of Project Management. Casey, Jay just alluded to Baker McKenzie's clientele, it's global clientele, and you of course were formerly uh, in the client seat. In in terms of the work that you're gonna be doing now for Baker McKenzie, what do you see as the role of the client in in all of this? Does the client become part of uh, what you'll be doing there? And if so, how do you incorporate that perspective?
2: Uh, Absolutely, so client value is the North Star, uh, and, Clients in many ways define value, uh, but they actually have to define it. Uh, Clients uh, have traditionally had a hard time uh, actually articulating value. And so a great way to get them to articulate it is to actually have real conversations with them. And I I see that as part of my role with respect to client alignment uh, is we have a lot of uh, stakeholders on the buy side. Uh, the rise of the legal operations movement um that which david is the godfather of uh, uh has has really changed the the buy side dynamics but it, it has not completely altered them it's not as if we went from one buyer uh, the the in-house counsel to another buyer the legal operations professional instead now we have a constellation of of individuals with with different interests and different priorities uh, on on the buy side, and so client alignment is more complex these days. Uh, we have uh, we have to take into account multiple views, uh, and and in many ways uh, serve uh, serve them all uh, appropriately. And part of that is helping to create alignment within the within the client itself around around value. And like so many other things, it, it starts with conversations. Uh, yes there yes there's data and, and reporting and dash and dashboards and and all kinds of other ways to enhance the decision making process. But unless unless we start with conversations around shared values uh, and a shared view of value to the client we're gonna have a very hard time uh, satisfying anyone. And we're gonna have a hard time knowing exactly what we should be doing to satisfy the client. So my, my role will in part be about spending time with clients to align the firm's legal service delivery to their, to their objectives. Uh, the other part of course is, is delivering because it, 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 can't just, it, it can't just be all talk. Uh, it, I, I, I think these days are, uh, behind us in many respects, but it used to be that there was plenty of talking between, uh, clients and their outside counsel on the golf course. Uh, and there, there is value to that, that having personal rapport, um, but I'm much more focused on structured dialogue around concrete service delivery issues and, uh, and measurable improvements in, in the way that legal service is delivered and also measurable improvements in client satisfaction. And one of the best things that clients can do for their firms is give them uh, not just quantitative feedback, but qualitative feedback, and then a forum to discuss that feedback, to understand where it comes from, what's driving it, and, and how it might be changed. And so being involved in that dialogue uh, will be an important part of of my role uh, at at the firm, but it it also won't be solely my role. Again, there are multiple touch points. There are multiple stakeholders. Uh, it, this this is a this is about creating broad-based connections with our with our with our clients.
0: You allude to ALSPs, alternative legal service providers. How how do those inform what you want to do at Baker McKenzie? In, in other words, do, do, do a, does a firm such as Baker McKenzie need to be taking a, a hard look at the ALSP model and and making decisions about whether you know the firm needs to sort of become more agile, become more more like uh, an ALSP in the way it delivers services?
2: Well, I wouldn't say more like an ALSP. I I, I want to move this over to Jay because she's done a lot of work in that space and has amazing insights but i will say that a huge attraction to me of baker was the investments they'd already made in alternative alternative legal services in in service centers like belfast and, and manila and what they're doing in in tampa and that the firm understands uh that there are different kinds of work that need to be delivered different kinds of ways how work can be segmented, how you can write source. That doesn't mean the firm operates uh, like an ALSP, uh, but that that the firm takes uh, a very nuanced view uh, of legal service delivery. And with that, I wanna turn it over to, to Jay because she's great on this subject.
1: Yeah, thanks, Casey. So um, yeah, this touches upon a couple of different things that I, I think really sets Baker McKenzie apart. Um, I think um, tying back to some of the remarks Casey just made about building rapport with clients versus structured dialogue, you know, I tend to think, yes, there is a need uh, to build trust between um, colleagues doing, you know, sensitive work across organizational boundaries, and then there's need for structured dialogue um, to you know, design and agree upon the mechanics and the operations of of how that work is managed. But I think one of the things that um, will define the next era of legal innovation on the incumbent side is the recognition that systems and infrastructure processes and, um, you know, at-scale investments are necessary to deliver on those promises at scale. Um, I am a huge proponent of in-depth dialogue between firm and client, but uh, the work of innovation does not end with talking. Um, no matter how valuable or, or candid or you know, um, well-intentioned the conversation is, it must lead to action. Um, I think one of the things that um, I saw a little differently about the marketplace uh, as compared to Casey and David, because I grew up on the, on the law firm side, Um, especially in a firm that thought very intensely and intentionally about about, uh, the evolving needs of clients, is that firms are serving lots of different clients all at once. The level of customization that is required to deliver value, which really is situational and contextual to the commercial um, context that is unique to each client, Adds a ton of complexity to law firm operations. And you know, I would probably point out here that in the decade following the Great Recession, a lot of firms have actually tightened expenses considerably. Um, some of that has led to maybe underinvestment in infrastructure um, and a lot of cutbacks that have left um, a lot of firms. I think um, in what Rox Coney recently called in an article management debt technical debt, process debt. Um, and so I think that, you know, where investment is act more investment is needed, a lot of firms find themselves in a position where they're struggling to just uh, deliver on core requirements. And then, so I, I think that um, the interest in ALSPs um, is a little bit different from the need to be agile. I think the way that, uh a- ALSPs are structured, certainly gives them some advantages in terms of, you know, being clearer about costing uh, in, in many managed services uh, arrangements, you know, resources are fully loaded on one or two projects that creates a lot of, um, you know, streamlining that that gets rid of the drag that um, is, is harder to manage in a big complex firm that is, you know, full of very high value uh, fee earners who are able to tackle a lot of different projects and are staffed uh, on many clients at once. So, you know, it's not so much that uh, Baker McKinsey is trying to turn into an ALSP. I think it is thinking more critically about, um, you know, what are the components that make managed services better in some instances? And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, a nuanced understanding, of course, of, of, you know, different tranches of work and how to best resource different types of legal work, but I, I think it also has to do with process rigor. Uh, I think it also has to do with uh, a recognition that tech-enabled legal services will be an imperative um, in, in in the future. And I think that thinking in a more segmented way about uh, work sorting and thinking, doing that thinking from the client's perspective, what are the streams of work that are most critical uh, to each of our high-value client segments, um, what is the resolution at which value is created in in, um, the provision of services for each type of work, and how can we best manage um, and and deliver results that will organically drive the value storytelling that not only we need to do for our clients um, in the legal function and increasingly in the legal operations function, but in turn, what is the value storytelling that those uh folks in in the legal function and in legal operations roles need to do for their internal stakeholders um i think there is a complexity inherent to b2b services that you know we haven't really discussed in, enough in the legal innovation dialogue um one of the things that david cambria likes to say that makes me laugh every time is you know he'll he'll say very uh self-deprecatingly that uh, legal operations is a non-core function of a non-core function. And that's not to diminish the the value that these folks bring or the importance of that role. It's a reminder that, um, there is context around them. There is a whole ecosystem around them and they answer to people, uh, just like we do inside a law firm. And then, so making sure that we are turning those, um, kind of legacy lawyer to lawyer relationships that used to happen with over, you know, over the golf course, uh, over dinner, um, those are person-to-person relationships, and you know, even though legal services will largely remain a relationship business, it's it's uh critical thinking about how do we move that forward to a business-to-business relationship that you know, as Casey says, is a very broad-based with a lot of touch points. Um, how do we navigate that complexity? Um, to make clear what value is being requested by the client and how well are their outside providers across an evolving supply chain? How are they delivering? How are they working within uh, each organization and across that supply chain to deliver the best possible value to not just the legal department, but really the end user of services, which is the shared client um, of everybody in the supply chain. So I, I think it's that type of thinking that informs Baker McKenzie's investment in ALSP or ALS, and I think that is definitely a factor that um, was was attractive to both of us as well as to David Cambria.
0: Well, as much as everybody talks about sort of the the, the three prongs of, of of people, process, and technology, I have to think that at, at a firm such as Baker McKenzie, which has what is it something like north of five thousand lawyers, uh, I believe. That, that that the people part of that remains perhaps um, the the greatest uh, uh, obstacle to 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 modernizing the firm. I mean, there's, there's still got to be an awful lot of people at that firm who are kind of entrenched in in the traditional ways of of practicing law and thinking about how you price law and deliver legal services and all of that. I mean, do you have, do do either of you have any thoughts on 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 how you uh, overcome those obstacles within the firm, or how you, how you overcome those sort of uh, you know uh, old fashioned, for lack of a better word, ways of thinking about delivering legal services.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to start here. I think um, this is an issue that you know I, I I've spent a lot of time thinking about, and you know I would actually start by reframing the question a little bit, Bob, because um, yeah, absolutely, we are a people led business. I think um, even ALS. P's would tell you that that um, in in legal services you if you're providing legal services of any kind um, it is a people business and then so I think it's really important to shift our thinking as change agents to not to not think of our stakeholders as blockers and you know I think that. uh, I really advocate for thinking deeply about, well, why is it that people cling to their old ways of working or what they know? And, you know, I think it's important to have the recognition that it's a human impulse and it's very natural. Um, IDEO, which uh, is pioneer in, in um, the field of design thinking um, across products, and now they you know, apply design thinking across sectors. Um, They have a saying, it's I think one of their like informing principles is that technology moves very fast, uh, human needs change slowly. Um, I think having that patience um, and accepting that challenge is really important so that we as change agents don't get frustrated and exhausted. Um, and, and this is one of the reasons that I say it's important to, for organizations to build resilience, it's important to take a longer view. Um, beyond that, I would say, you know, the way that I look at people process and technology is that, you know, technology is really a booster. Um, I think of it as an, as an enabler and some, Some technology advances can certainly be game changers in the sense that they make new things possible that were never possible before. And then so it's important to be open minded um, to new ways of doing things uh, that are enabled literally uh, by technology. But process is really the glue um, that kind of threads everything together. Um, uh, McKinsey actually has a great, great phrase um, Called expert choreography. When you apply process rigor to endeavors that still require a high degree of human expertise, um, it's best to kind of think of the challenge as choreography because it is important for people to know their routes. It's important for people to know their roles. It's important for people to understand how what they're doing fits into a larger whole. Um, And, you know, I think that's why communication um, continues to be a huge challenge for for complex uh, service providers not just in legal but you know you see it in consulting you see it in um, other professional services like like the field of medicine which i think is a great analog for the type of innovation that we need in legal services uh, in terms of you know practical matters right how do we actually get people to embrace new ways of uh, working of thinking about about their roles their jobs one of the things i think is really, really, really important is incentives. I mean, it's almost um, galactically obvious to point out that incentives drive behavior, but I think, um, you know, it's not just the way that incentives are designed, it's the way that they are communicated as well. Um, And, you know, just as important as incentives is enablement. Um, Training where necessary, education where necessary, And the training can kind of run the gamut from something very tactical like, uh, you know, making sure that everybody can uh, use the core technology that is part and parcel of their jobs to, um, you know, helping them understand uh, not only the immediate impacts uh, on their day-to-day, but second and third order impacts of of frontier and emerging technologies. I think it's important for organizations to have candor around, you know, um, displacement, automation, anxiety, it's important to have that dialogue so that people feel informed and equipped to take on the changes that they're being asked to take on um, because most people need a lot of help uh, envisioning a future that doesn't exist yet. Um, and yeah. unless you're able to give that to them, of course, they're going to cling to what they know because that I, I truly believe that is a human impact.
0: Right. I, I know you both have to go in just a couple of minutes, and Casey, I wanted to give you an opportunity to get in a get in a word on on that topic before we wrap up. But you have anything uh, to add to what Jay was just saying?
2: Uh, no, I actually. will just revert back to what Jay said in the beginning that hard things are hard, and change uh, is is hard, and especially especially uh, change uh, at scale. Uh, and yet, at the same time, there's something about scale um, that, that causes different organization, that forces different organizational structures to take hold. You simply can't govern uh, uh, 4,000 lawyers like you can 400 lawyers, like 40 lawyers. And, and while there are, there are absolutely challenges uh, at the scale of the firm there there's also uh, uh centripetal forces at play that that help uh the the centralizing uh of process and technology to to augment the people and we are people led and uh, we should be I mean our, our intellectual capital is is our is our is, is our greatest asset and I wouldn't you could, you can have the best process and technology in the world. If, if they're not leveraging the, the, the expertise, uh, customers aren't going to come to you. Uh, Clients aren't going to come to you. And so I don't, I don't want to diminish that at all, but uh, I, I, I've, again, there were already things in flight in terms of the way the firm was making strategic investments uh, that suggested to me that, that, they are able to to change and that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy and it certainly doesn't mean that it's going to be uh overnight but uh we we had the question you know are are they ready and i would still answer uh more ready than just about anybody else uh and uh, you know that's 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 to their credit uh not to ours because we wouldn't have joined if they hadn't already made those kinds of investments and made a lot of the, the hard decisions. Uh, but now, now and forever we need to, we need to put in, put in the work. And I, I, I must say, I thought I worked hard and then I started working with Jay and David and, uh, I, I I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling pretty lazy. Uh, about, well, I'm labing, labeling myself pretty lazy, but I'm also feeling extremely motivated. They are, uh, I mean, both are so so smart but that's not why they're successful they're successful because i've never seen two people uh work harder and and because they work so hard they seem to fit in perfectly at baker mckenzie
0: well many will many will be watching uh what you what the three of you and and the rest of your team do at baker mckenzie i really appreciate both of you taking the time today to talk to us, and spend some time with us. Thanks a lot to both of you. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having us, really.
0: And thanks to the sponsors who keep this show running. As always, thanks to Ben Ambroji for producing and editing the show. That's it for this week. This is Bob Ambroji.